Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we're joined by Adam Poblowski, President and Chief Data Scientist of U.S. Employee Survey, a full-service research and analytics firm specialized in employee engagement. No stranger to the HR Daily Advisor audience, Adam was a recent guest on the A Seat at the Table podcast with our lead editor, Bianca Heron, and we brought him back today to meet our HR Works audience and discuss the role data can play in workforce engagement and some of the key findings that recent employee surveys have revealed about the state of the workforce in 2023. Adam, welcome to the HR Works podcast. Thank you very much, Josh. Glad to be here. Uh, It's great to have you on. It's great to dive into this conversation about the importance of data in driving workforce engagement. But before we dive into that, Adam, as I mentioned, you've been on previously with the Seat at the Table podcast. For many of our listeners who may be meeting you for the first time, can you walk us through your career path a bit and just share what led you into a career in data and analytics? Sure. So uh, I started out as a kid in politics, which has virtually nothing to do with what we do today, uh, but I got a really good training of, of uh, learning people and relationships and how to engage with folks. And that became research. So we, we did, uh, I'm a, a pollster is, is how a lot of people know me, uh, but we have this connection to people where we do research among corporate and government and nonprofit world. So that was kind of my path starting out in in the polling world. And uh, naturally, there's a lot of human behavior there uh, and uh, a lot of data there. And that's how we got into uh, surveying and and, uh, doing analytics with uh, HR folks. That's great. Well, look, the political realm, what better place to understand people and really what makes people tick. So a nice overlap and a a perfect fit, again, with your background as a pollster that uh, I think it lends itself nicely to the HR audience. Sure. Thank you. So Adam, looking at data and again, having this conversation at the start of 2023, why is employee data a must-have asset for organizations and their HR teams as they go into this new year? Recruiting and retention is just like always a conversation in HR world, I know. Uh, but right now, where virtually everyone has a job that wants a job and employers are competing to, you know, outpay the, the, the people and, and find new benefits and things that are going to attract people, that's what, what it comes down to. And so having an understanding of what people are thinking and what they care about, what the behaviors are, how you can essentially, you'll hear me say it a lot, meet your employees and your prospective employees where they are, that's what we're going to get from uh, the the research that we do, figure out how to make bridge that gap. Uh, I, I know I don't want to dismiss the layoffs in tech world or, or that are happening out there or the looming recession, but the truth is we have really big employment out there and, and there's a lot of competition. Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing employee engagement really front and center for so many organizations, whether it's talent retention or talent recruiting, or even again, managing through these difficult situations. As you mentioned, engagement is at an all-time high and front and center. It seems like employee data at this point and the gathering of that information is so important to understanding that employee engagement piece. 
Yeah, I mean, it's essentially data-informed decisions making, right? So you you have the data and you can then make real hard decisions based on what you know. Uh, I, I think, you know, every HR manager I've ever interacted with, a director, they're like really uh, tuned in to, to their employees, their staff, their organization. They're kind of the home base for any organization. And a lot of the time they're working off of their gut instincts, uh, and, you know, probably trying to mitigate to some degree what other parts of management are, are trying to do and, and kind of hold them at bay because they know better. But the truth is, if you're an organization of you know, maybe 20 plus people, you really want to have some sense of uh, uh, confidentially a, a read on your employees, your read on your staff and give them the opportunity to give you feedback that is outside the, the realm of me, you, you as a HR manager, your gut, and, and just taking the, the negative feedback you get. There's a lot of space in between there that doesn't get addressed on a regular basis, and having real hard research around that is, is very helpful. Yeah, well said. And it's a different environment now in 2023 than it was maybe pre-2020 when many workforces were in person. You could gauge the feeling of the workforce and really maybe some of the issues or just the general feeling of the workforce in person and just get a better pulse check that maybe teams don't have that access to anymore, being remote, being hybrid. It seems like the access to data is a great way to bring that back in and really get a sense of where your team is at. Boy, I've seen dozens of examples of people who you are great at reading their colleagues and great at reading people, but a lot of that kind of um, gets missed in the Zoom environment. Uh, you, you know, just little nuances of, of that human interaction that that just go away. And, and I'm a big advocate for remote work. My company is a, a virtual company. We've got staff all over the country and I really don't care where they live. It's fantastic. But you definitely miss those nuances and, and it can be scary because you're, you know, no matter who you are inside of an organization, you're going to miss some of those things and it's going to be problematic for you. And unless you have a, a some sense of a read, you're going to lose people because of it. Yeah, it's a great argument, again, to really look at and engage with data to get a strong understanding of where your organization is in terms of corporate culture and just in terms of general sentiment of the workforce. So speaking of corporate culture, that's something that's been talked about so much over the last few years, especially, and what makes corporate culture, what's defining corporate culture within unique organizations, and every organization is unique in that sense. What are the elements of corporate culture that can be best measured through data and analytics? So I look at it in two ways. Uh, one is those hard ways of uh, whether you want to call it culture or, or, I mean, to some degree, benefits, right? What are the things that we're doing that attract people to be in this place and want to be here, right? Is it, is it our, our catering plan? Is, is it our, our uh, you know, lunch and learns? What, what are the, the features and benefits, so to speak, that, that culturally make us who we are? Uh, and a lot of those things kind of went away uh, during the pandemic, during remote work, during hybrid work. There's less of that connection to those physical features and benefits. The, the next thing is the emotional connection uh, from a culture standpoint. And the truth is, it's not very often <laughs> that, that a, a manager can, can even say the words or, or it's even, you know, necessarily appropriate to say the words, not just how do you feel, but, you know, do, do you feel appreciated? And, and is this a place where you want to be? And, and do you feel like your, your, your voice is heard? It's kind of a, 
I mean, I, I don't know. I'm a, you know, uh, uh, you know, almost 50 year old guy. So like talking about my feelings is not so, you know, part of my vernacular, you know, uh, but in a, in a survey format, in a, in a, in a different kind of a way, talking just to a computer, just responding to a survey, I can really give you my answers. I can pour my heart out to, to, uh, to my smartphone. Uh, and, and I think that's really where you get there from. You ask those real visceral emotional questions and say, are we meeting your needs? From, are, are we culturally in a place that meets your needs? And, and if you are, that's great. If not, let's figure out how to get there, right? How to make sure that we are organizationally, um, fulfilling your needs and going in the same direction where you think you should be going. And to what you're saying there, Adam, data gathering really gives a, a universal voice to a workforce where, again, you may have employees who aren't comfortable maybe reaching out directly and saying, here's what I need, here's what I'm looking for, or, here's where I'm either happy or dissatisfied with my current role, a survey using data, that's a great way to universally let everybody respond and get a, a shared response where you can, again, get a, a larger um, piece of feedback from your team and really get a better read. I love that. I think that's really great and a great way to, to understand, again, where your corporate culture is um, and looking at, at some of those elements. Again, it could be your benefits and how effective are your current benefits being offered. Are those meeting your needs, as you said, down to what do you feel is the most effective way to work as a workforce? Do, do we need to be hybrid versus remote? And how, how effective is that as teams are coming back and trying new methods, getting that direct feedback and using data to understand that could be a really effective way in doing so? Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's fun to be able to deliver results. Yeah. Well, and meeting employee needs, I think that's something that's certainly come to the forefront over the last few years as well. We're seeing workforces become more employee-centric. What better way than, again, understanding and seeing what your employees are looking for, using data to do that, um, and really just create a more effective and overall happier workplace, I think has been a goal for many teams right now in, in the workforce, uh, especially in HR. Yeah, for sure. I think it's almost like a cliche. You look at, you know, old timey workforces and just grumpy people getting, you know, grumpy work done. And, and there's really not a lot of patience for that sort of thing anymore. You know, you don't want to interact with a grumpy colleague. And, and the truth is that if they have a task or a job or something that isn't really right for them, there's so many opportunities to kind of like change that structure. So, so why, why, why work in an environment where there's grumpiness? Let's fix it. Yeah. Are you seeing some ways where data can improve employee engagement and really boost that that overall workplace happiness? Sure. I, you know, one of the big things that we like to find out is uh, is, is from a training standpoint and, a, and an experiences standpoint, what staff, what employees are looking for uh, beyond the. Um, Beyond just their benefits, just beyond uh, their paycheck, uh, what 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 are they looking for? And and from from there, we find that there's people who want to learn things like another language, or they want to engage in another part of the business. Um, you know, it's not so easy to sometimes tell your manager that you know this is great, but I want to be over there. And so, in research, you can identify that there's a, uh, a you're, you're you're not tip, you're not. Um, uh, a, a, you know, exposing an individual's responses, but you can identify that, look, there's a element of your population of your employees that really think that their talents can be used elsewhere uh, organizationally. And then you can start to build programs to really foster that versus just have the, the you know, problem kind of come up and come up, come up, and then that person or those people leave. So that, I think, is a really key plan is to understand, you know, again, how to meet the needs of your employees 
not just, you know, how to give them more things to give them, but how to make sure they're in the right place in your organization. And, and that's going to make them much more engaged. Right. It's that idea of upskilling and career advancement and showing your employees that you care about their career development beyond just their current career, but where they're going as well. And how do you put them in a position to succeed? And again, that may be uh, giving more insight and exposure to other parts of the business beyond just their current role. And again, taking that feedback, putting that into practice, that's a great thing to employ for, for HR leaders, but for organizations in general is they're trying to put employees first and meet that need that employees are looking for, that upskilling need. Yeah, from a, from a management standpoint, uh, you know, C-suite, uh, we, you know, they look at it this way. We invested big time in these people. How do we keep them, capture them, help them grow internally? I mean, of course, there's going to be people that are going to move on to the, the next, the next uh, opportunity, but how do we keep capture that investment and keep them internal? Holy mackerel. That's like, you know, those are big numbers you can start calculating and say, we just saved ourselves millions. Right. And that combats your retention challenges, your talent challenges, when you can keep and develop talent from within. What better way to combat hiring challenges than when you can just keep developing and building from your farm system? That's a, that's a great approach. So Adam, based on some of the data you're seeing, and again, these metrics change the what makes a positive workplace can change over time, but what are we seeing currently that's making for a positive workplace in 2023? And conversely, maybe some of the threats that are challenging a positive work environment in 2023. It's all about flexibility. Obviously, there's environments where uh, where there was no flexibility over the last several years, but um, and uh, it's 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 quite annoying even as I say it to talk about the pandemic. Um, but the truth is, uh, it really you know changed our dynamic with almost any kind of worker uh, beyond retail, and uh, and it really you know created an environment where flexibility was a part of our everyday life. And that has stuck. There is no going back from that. And that doesn't, it, it, it can mean all kinds of things. It can mean, you know, obviously, you know, remote work. It can mean hybrid work, um, flexibility on hours and, and flexibility on, on, you know, workplace. Like if we start to care where people are, you know, in the world versus just getting the job done. Um, and also, you know, paid time off versus the, the, I think a continuation of uh, kind of the upward trend of, of uh, unlimited paid time off. Uh, things like that have really been a part of the, you know, we're seeing it today. We saw it, you know, over the course of the last several years, and it's a big part of the trend. Like they just put that big F for flexibility. And that's how we have to look at the context of how we recruit, how we retain employees and how we keep them happy. Absolutely. I think so many workers got to experience flexibility for the first time over the past few years, especially in the early stages of the pandemic shutdown when so many teams moved remotely, got to experience what it meant to be truly flexible, what a hybrid workforce, what a fully remote workforce looked like. So the expectation is new now. There's a, there's a new expectation and an understanding, hey, we can do this going forward, or this is what I like, this is what's best for me and my work-life balance, and I can make it work. Um, so I think that that's now being expected and looked for by a lot of employees. Yeah, for sure. I, I think going with that, too, there's a couple of things that I think maybe need to be addressed. One is there is an element of any uh, organization's population of staff that really resents the idea of that flexibility for a couple of reasons. One, perhaps because they don't have it there. You know, if you're a field operator working for a, you know, whether it's a 
you know, corporate communications company, you know, doing putting up towers or you're a water district putting, you know, pipes in the ground or, or turning valves. You know, if you're a field person, you don't get that flexibility. So there's a, a significant amount of resentment that you've got to figure out how to address among those people versus essentially virtually everybody else in the organization that has all that flexibility. So that's one part of it. And there's also an element of your workforce that just doesn't, um, doesn't appreciate the flexibility, not that they resent it. They want to be in an office environment. They want to be there, whether they're getting away from their, their, their family, um, or they're, they're, you know, getting away from, from something else. And they, this where they want to be. And that's how, and that's also perhaps how they do their best work. Um, and so we've got to be able to, we tend to understand that, identify that element within a workforce and help kind of figure out how to address that. And, and, and you can't dismiss those, those two kind of big parts of your organization. If you do, you're going to have a problem on your hands. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to the initial question of how can data be used as a really valuable asset to HR teams? It's understanding what your workforce needs. You may have a workforce that predominantly wants to be back in the office. So then lobby for flexibility and a remote workforce may not be the right fit. I think it's getting a sense of what your team needs and what makes your team operate best. I mean, there may be, again, cases where it's inevitable and you can't have a flexible workforce, but it's defining what flexible is. Flexible can be different things to different teams. Getting that feedback, that direct employee feedback can really be crucial in making those decisions. Yeah, I think it's really important to not dismiss, uh, you know, the four-day work week or some other, you know, schedule that allows for, you know, Fridays off or whatever, you know, days in the middle of the week off. Finding those those things that, that don't really impact operations uh, but allow for flexibility uh, and, and don't really change a cost or anything like that. But it just gives people the moments that they're looking for. You know, they get that Tuesday off so they can do their banking and do the things they want to do or, or, or whatever that day off they're looking for that is non-traditional. Um, limited impact on, on operations, limited impact on cost, huge benefit from, from having understood what they're looking for and, and giving it to them. That is great. So what have we seen emerge from data gathering that has been a threat to engagement? Maybe something that was unexpected that you saw come out of data surveys over the last year or so that has threatened that positive working environment. What have you seen? I, I think I just spoke to a part of it, this this um, reality of the some of the foundational parts of your workforce that don't get the benefits of flexibility. And really, you know, it's a, it's a problem because there's no way to really address that with them. There's no way to give it to them because they're, uh, they're, they're physically in a place doing a job. And, and so, um, I think you're, you're the conversation about finding those other things like days off and things like that might be helpful, but physically they've got to be there. I think that's our, our biggest concern. We have a lot of, um, our, our uh, client base is is kind of big institutional, like government agencies uh, and and big corporate clients and, and some small organizations and nonprofits too. But a lot of them have those physical field folks that that are are harder to address, and and um, and and so that's our that's the biggest thing that we see that we have to figure out how to overcome and address. Okay, thank you for sharing that. So let me ask this now: your your workforce, you're gathering your employee data, you're getting feedback. What type of feedback is the most valuable for leadership teams? That overwhelmingly positive feedback where it's very one-sided, everybody's marked 10s in terms of all positive, or that negative critical feedback than just an overwhelmingly positive data set? 
Sure. So uh, the, the, the thing we love the most about the research we do is the trends over time. And hopefully, I mean, presumably it's good and it's going up like this. Um, so that I think is the best, one of the best management tools we have. Uh, and it's the best way of showing, you know, success. So, so there, there's obviously dozens of elements to the research that we present, but that's the, the, I think the, biggest thing that management looks for is some sort of a trend and that they're doing something good and doing something right. The way we uncover the, okay, how do we fix essentially the negative feedback, which is really helpful, um, is we ask the why questions. We kind of take the two-year-old approach. Uh, okay, if you're unhappy, why? What is it that's driving your unhappiness? And we try to use that um, we call it homework. So we'll take, you know, let's say your organization has 5,000 people and we've got, you know, 3,200 of them responded, which is, you know, pretty big percentage, but, um, we, we've got, you know, pretty big adoption with, with a, with a, with a piece of research. Um, we're going to look at the people who are unhappy in any particular element of their, their work life. And, and we ask them why. And we categorize it so you can look at the data and say, okay, it's mostly because, you know, they don't have flexibility or mostly because they want more money or because they lost, you know, whatever benefit you took away over the course of whatever period of time. But a lot of those cases, there's we look at the open-ended responses. So what's kind of cool is, yeah, we categorize it from a management perspective. You can look at the data, but you can dive in. We dive in and we recommend our our, our clients dive in, uh, we'll give sentiment analysis, but we want you to read the words because I, I, when someone talks about a particular department or a particular challenge or the TPS report or whatever it is, um, you know, we don't have necessarily the context that the HR manager or other management might have. So as they read through these comments, uh, it's really super helpful to kind of get the vernacular, the words people are saying, how they're emotionally expressing themselves, and what it is that can be done. A lot of the time when, when management reads through those comments, it's like, yeah, there's a holdup in that, you know, in the IT department. And they're just not being responsive and, and they're, they're not being nice or kind or, or it might even hone in on an individual in a small organization, right? We, they, and they already knew there was a problem there. They already knew that there was, you know, something that they had to address, but they didn't know how to address it or they didn't really want to address it. So in the, in the research that we do, we really hone in on that and, and the management can say, okay, we now have like empirical evidence that there's a problem, even though we kind of already knew it, and then they can use that to address it. Uh, so it, it might sound counterintuitive to, from a re research standpoint, you know, we like to use a lot of charts and graphs, but reading the, the actual words people are saying to describe their experience is invaluable. Yeah, it's, it's that understanding that feedback is a gift and looking at it with that perspective, you can do more sometimes with that critical feedback and we've all probably been there at some point taking a survey where you blow through it and you're saying 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, all the way down the list. And it's not, you're not getting the true sentiment from your participants yeah. that you may when again, you get that feedback. And sometimes while the honest feedback may be hard to hear, it's going to give you the most actionable items as a result. Yeah. And, and when you say, you know, we've all blown through surveys, I, I will say, of course, it's, it's, it's kind of a part of our, our daily life. And sometimes we respond to surveys for various reasons. Um, I will say this, we, in our experience, employees look at an employee survey and employee engagement survey very different than the one that they fill out for quite, you know, carpet cleaning, you know, um, they really do have an emotional connection to their workplace. And if management does its job, and one of the things we like to do 
and we always recommend is ahead of any kind of research or quite frankly, ahead of any major initiative. It's 2023. So record a video. Like we, we tell our, 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 every one of our, our clients record a video, especially if it's going from a, about a survey, you know, it's usually, you know, someone from our staff with a uh, HR director, you know, doing something like this, answering the questions, wait, why are we doing this? Is management really going to listen to what's said in this survey? Is it really confidential? Things like that, that, that kind of convey the key points of why this is, you know, important. And, and we recommend that with all kinds of initiatives, right? Whether you're changing, you know, hours or you're changing compensation or just given a year-end review, like, we consume our information by video, and it's really kind of a, a the tool that we all use. So let's maybe back away a little bit from you know fourteen point bullet point you know emails, and you know put a put a ninety second or three minute video up to to tell the story. It's going to be much more powerful, much more effective. I love that, Adam, and that seems like a great suggestion for our listeners, for our HR audience, as you're looking to really drive engagement on surveys you're putting out to your workforce. How do you get employees to really participate and understand the value of the survey they're taking? And I think it's getting out in front of that, like you said, engaging, creating a video, letting them know the purpose of the survey before putting it out to an audience could be a great way just to, to, again, ensure that you're getting true feedback. Yeah, or get feedback at all, right? If if I don't believe it's going to be used properly or at all, I'm just not going to respond. Yeah, that's fantastic. Really good feedback on that one from you, Adam. So. One other question I've got, as we're looking at, again, such a challenging time for many workers as we're seeing this giant wave of layoffs come through that that ultimately affect workers that are still left at an organization and, again, often have that survivor guilt coming back. What's the best time to pull a workforce and get the most useful feedback? Is it during these challenging times right after a, a difficult situation or is it during a more steady point during the calendar year? And even look at it too, is it better start of the year versus end of the year? I'd love to hear where you think the best times to poll a workforce are. So you're asking a researcher when we should research, and my answer is every day. I mean, it's uh, you, you, you can't hold me back from wanting to you know, ask more. The truth is we see uh, relevance for most organizations um, to, to be surveying you know, once a year or twice a year. Um, there's rationale uh, for unique one-off surveys. Uh, and I'll give an example. Uh, you know, let's say we're working with a, uh, a city you know, with uh, a thousand employees. Uh, yeah, an annual survey is pretty normal and is going to give you probably the, the tools you need to, to, to build off of. But uh, talking about challenging times, law enforcement, police services, really challenging in recent times. And so there's rationale there to maybe have a more regularized schedule amongst your, your PD to, to get a sense of what's happening and see if your course correction is, is working. And the same thing goes for, you know, any other organization where there's kind of a unique element of your workforce that, that you're trying to really kind of, um, address and concerns and fix. Uh, and so there's rationale there. And, and so we, you know, um, we won't typically recommend, as far as timing goes, we, we always say there's always a reason not to do a survey, right? It, it's, it's Super Bowl coming up. It's, it's uh, you know, uh, it's December and we're all checked out. Uh, it, it's, it's August and, and we all want to, you know, go to the river, whatever it is. The truth is, you, you know, unless you're some sort of weird seasonal organization, People are working 
all the time and you should just dive in and ask them the questions. Um, and, and you, you can look back maybe like we all will and see 2001 and say, okay, there's a weird blip on the screen. Right. And we're like, what was that about 10 years from now? And we'll know what that was. It was, it was the pandemic. Um, and the same thing goes for if you're in the middle of a survey and you have a crisis hit, you're going to know that was a crisis, a moment in time. And, and you're going to, you know, see the next day, set of data the next time you survey. So I, I really would caution against, you know, timing the market, so to speak, when it comes to surveys. If you've got some regularized, let's do it before our fiscal year ends or whatever it is, just keep it going. It seems like there's something to be learned from any time you poll. If you poll right after a, a challenging time in the organization, maybe it's a new acquisition or a round of layoffs, you'll learn, okay, here's where work-life balance may be a priority for your workforce versus maybe at a, at a slower point in the season. So then you you can then learn how to address that going forward. Hey, for the next time we know something challenging is coming up, let's get out in front of that. Maybe offer some employee support. For sure. Absolutely. That's great. Okay. So Adam, as we're looking at all the feedback we're seeing from employee surveys, what's something that you're seeing out of past surveys that can maybe get you excited going forward for the world of HR, for our audience of HR? Uh, we're excited right now about team building. Uh, we think that there's uh, a lot of room for that, and it's different than it was before, of course. So we're we're you know seeing support for things like you know all hands meetings and and retreats. And again, we're very conscious of the fact that you know organizationally that may sound absurd, right? <laughs> Depending on what kind of organization you're in, uh, there may be no chance that you're getting you know a thousand people in one place, or everybody's getting to go on a you know on a, on a weekend to Vegas or 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 uh, a couple of days in Atlantic City or whatever it might be for you. Um, but whatever that means, and it may be multiple events, it may just be uh, a happy hour on Zoom or something, but the reality is some kind of a team building efforts are things that we're seeing prospectively going forward as being really important, um, being adopted organizationally and being supported by employees. Sure, it's finding new ways to connect with your team and that could be different for any team. Finding new ways just to connect in and have that that new way of building your corporate culture and finding, again, great ways just to reinvigorate and re-engage your team throughout the year. That's great. Really helpful feedback to look forward to for the HR community in 2023, Adam. Yeah. And there's one other thing I'll, I'll say, and this is not like new in any way. Uh, it's been done forever. But getting um, uh, media coverage of, of a staff member. Uh, you know, outside of that typical, you know, announcement of a promotion, announcement of a, of a hire, things like that. Um, look, we're, we're human beings and, and we like to be, uh, uh, patted on the back. We like to get a little bit of uh, notoriety. So to, and there's so many opportunities for that today. There, there's, there's so many places where you can give that, that employee some recognition beyond the, the internal blog. And, and so to the extent that you've got someone dedicated organizationally to promoting those people, whether it's in their alma mater paper or something like that, it, it really, um, it, it's the kind of thing that lives forever uh, and people really appreciate, right? It lives online forever. So the extent, you know, you get someone else outside of your organization to cover that person, people really appreciate that and we really encourage it. And we find that people really look forward to it. That's a really cool way to look at it, Adam. Teams utilizing and organizations utilizing their social media accounts, that's a great way to advocate and prop up their employees and the great work they're doing. 
look at LinkedIn, that's a great resource to be able to, again, shout out um, your top performers, high performers, and call out the good work that your team is doing in a very organic, but very front and center way. That's, that's really good feedback and something that our audience should certainly think about going forward in terms of great ways to boost employee engagement. Yeah, and the truth is, though, it takes uh, a it takes somebody dedicated to that project. It, it, it's 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 kind of oftentimes beyond the scope of the HR director because it's you know it, it's a real set of work to do that and promote that. But it it really comes back really well for the organization. That's great feedback. So again, we're here with Adam Probloski, President and Chief Data Scientist of the U.S. Employee Survey. Adam. You gave us some great info on just how HR leaders and organizations can use data going forward to build a better employee experience. But tell me a bit about your experience, especially over the last few years. What's something that you may have learned about yourself that you feel has made you a better leader over the past few years? Ooh, that's rough. You're, you're asking me personal stuff here. Um, so I'll tell you, uh, I am the parent of a special needs kid, an autistic son, and uh, this is maybe too personal, but uh, over the course of the pandemic, my wife and I struggled because because we were alone with, the, with two other kids. Everything's great with them, but uh, a rough patch with with a kid who's autistic and nonverbal, and we didn't have the support network we typically would have, you know, during the pandemic, and uh, we struggled a lot. But having come through that and figured out what, what we needed uh, relationship-wise between my wife and I, we started to realize there were very specific things we needed. And part of that was kind of a break, you know, right? being outdoors, being, uh, uh, you know, being able to open your mind and see, see things beyond what's happening in the house. And so I think what it's really done for me is make me a much more compassionate person and much more able to see uh, other people's pain and the difficulty that people are having and be much more ready to help and want to help and want to, you know, give someone a hug and give them the chance to vent and see what it is that can be helpful to help them get to the next place in their life. And uh, it, it, you know, it's just, you know, compassion for me for, for kind of just about everybody. That's great. Thank you for sharing that, Adam. Um, and again, I love asking that question because, again, we all learned so much over the last year and, and different things. And sharing that with the audience, uh, it shows that we're all human. We're all learning new things to make us better and different things we may not have even thought of prior to, to a few years ago that catch you off guard. And, and again, you learn from that and always continue to be getting better. So thank you for sharing that one, Adam. That's great. Uh, speaking of just advice and ways to keep getting better, do you have any advice that you've leaned on throughout your professional career? that you could pass along to our audience of HR professionals and just general leadership professionals who are listening out there? Ooh, um, I, you know, I talked to a lot of young people who, who are looking to get into some, any kind of industry and, and I, I've had some success. So I love sitting down with young people and, and there's some key pieces of advice that I give them. Um, one is, you know, part of my success came from being everywhere always. Essentially I was, you know, if you look back at my calendar, uh, you know, 25 years ago, I had a, a breakfast, uh, a coffee, a lunch, uh, uh, you know, uh, drinks, dinner. I mean, I was like, you know, had something every single day, packed the day. Now, I don't do that as a, I like my family, so I like going home, but that was my life when I was younger. And that helped me build a network of people that uh, I rely on really heavily today. And they rely on me. Um, but having those, having spent that 
constant time in front of the world of events of, of people um, really helped me build an incredible network. So maybe if anything else, it's, it's building that network and keeping it up, uh, which really takes work. You know, there's there's people in your life who, you know, you talked to five years ago and, and you don't really have contact with. You got to figure out a way to have a um, uh, some touch point with those people if you think they're going to be valuable to you or if you just think that they're people that are interesting and you want to have in your life at some point. So you've got to find that touch point. It could be an email. It could be a text. It could be, you know, sending them something physical or trying to meet up with them. But having that constant uh, rotation of relationship building uh, regardless is really important. And there's never a bad time to check in. Again, that's a great way. As you mentioned too, just nurturing your network, keeping up with your network, that's the hard part, but it really doesn't have to be. Uh, I tell you, you, what you just said really resonates with me. And I don't know when it happened, but it was sometime in the last year where I was kind of like, uh, and I've heard other people say it, when somebody comes into my mind, I pick up the phone, physically pick it up, dial their number, press their number and talk to them. I literally, because so many times in your life, right, somebody comes to your mind and you're like, oh, yeah, it'd be cool to see them or whatever. I just literally pick up the phone and call them. And I know that's like almost offensive to people under 40 to actually call someone, but uh, I do it. And if it's somebody I know won't answer, I'll send them a text. But um, if you think of someone, just reach out. It, 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 most people aren't going to think it's weird or annoying. They're going to appreciate it. That is a great piece of advice and a great takeaway we can send our listeners with. So thank you for that, Adam. So again, we're here with Adam Poblowski, President and Chief Data Scientist of U.S. Employee Survey. Adam, for our audience, do you have anything you're excited about, anything you'd like to share that you're working on either at U.S. Employee Survey or personally? Now's a great time to let us know what's going on and, and certainly share where we can learn more about U.S. Employee Survey. Sure. I, I mean, I think we have a, a cool uh, offering, uh, usemployeesurvey.com. Uh, we kind of looked at the market for, for employee data, employee surveys, and we saw that there's internally great places where people can go, they can hire, they can get SurveyMonkey and, and make 20 questions and say, email it out to their staff and, and get data. And we're advocates for data and there's there's nothing wrong with that if that's, you know, how you have to do it. And we saw there's like big, you know, the big consulting firms, the big dogs that, you know, come in and you're spending millions with them and, and they're going to do a survey for you and charge you hundreds of thousands of dollars in the process. Um, we felt like there's a place in the middle which really hard to, to meet and wasn't being met. And so that's where, where we are. We have kind of almost productized the service with a, a, a high consulting component. So um, if they go, the people go there, they can see, okay, there's an opportunity to have a survey for a fixed price. They know what they're getting. Um, there's an opportunity for unlimited surveys, um, but you get the consulting uh, services along with it regardless. Um, I, I'm not like a shameless self-promoter. So if someone needs this service, I, we'd love to talk to them about it. But, but really, I think what our, our goal was is to meet those people organizations in the middle that, that don't have the $100,000 budgets and, and, and really still want like a, a, a quality experience. And that's kind of who we serve. And, and that's who, quite frankly, we have the most fun working with. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing that, Adam. And again, I like your approach to be just an advocate for data. The rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. But uh, again, for anyone interested in learning more about U.S. Employee Survey, as Adam mentioned, usemployeesurvey.com is a great way to reach out and learn more about their great organization. So again, Adam Probloski, thank you so much for joining the HR Works podcast. Before we wrap today, this is the one question I love to ask all of our guests and close out with. When you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, what's the one thing that gets you motivated to start your day? Is it wrong to say making money? 
I, 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 I mean, and, and, it, and it's not some sort of like, uh, you know, shameless uh, money grab. It, it's, you know, in order to support my family and give them the things that I think that they're important for them and to give me some peace of mind. And this relates back, by the way, to employees. Right. That's what it comes down to. I, I'm not I'm not looking to buy jet skis or, or a, uh, a, a trip around the world. I want peace of mind so I can provide for my family and know that when, you know, 20, 30 years from now, when I'm looking to retire, I'm going to have something secure waiting for me. That's what really motivates me. And quite frankly, I think that's a big part of what motivates a lot of the people we're surveying. And so that you know gives me some feeling of connection to them. Absolutely. Supporting their family, what better way to, to get your day started? What what better motivator to get out of bed and get going and get after it? So, Adam, thank you for sharing that. Again, it was great having a conversation with you, learning just about great ways to use data to really build engagement in the workplace, something that's so important for HR professionals going into 2023. So, again, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for sharing some great insight. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope we can keep it going in the future. Likewise, Josh. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.